We must constantly look at things in a different way. The Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast was created by two physical therapists out of the desire to learn more about the different educational roles in physical therapy and healthcare and how healthcare education works by talking with educational leaders and people with different perspectives within physical therapy and across interdisciplinary lines on how education can be improved to disrupt the status quo of healthcare education. This is our journey and thanks for listening. Are you a third-year physical therapy student that excels on tests when you have study guides, checklists, and deadlines? With all of the information available about how to prepare for the NPTE, it's easy to get disorganized and not feel prepared going into the big day. NPTE Prep Success is an online course that provides PT students easy-to-use study guides and step-by-step guidance through the NPTE preparation. To learn more, visit kylericeprep.com. Thank you again all for your continued support. And now for the show. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Dr. F. Scott Field, joined with another one of our hosts, Stephanie Wyrock, and we are here live at APTA PPS meeting up in Dallas, Texas. Steph, great to see you again. Oh my gosh, Scott, it's been way too long. I miss you guys. I'm sorry I haven't been co-hosting any HET podcast episodes. A lot's been going on in my life. I was life. gonna say there's a reason for that. Many reasons. So let's let's talk about some of the life changes you've had in the last couple of months. What's been going on in your life? Well, probably the biggest news I have is I'm now a new mom. Yes. I, uh, Congratulations. Gave birth to my daughter Sara in January, and I think actually the last podcast episode that I did was I co-hosted or guest hosted uh, Karen Litzy's podcast healthy, wealthy, and smart on an interview that I did. I had written an article for PPS Impact, private practice section of the APTA. It's their magazine that they put out. And I did an article, wrote an article on burnout and physical therapy. And so as I was trying to figure out the perspective I was going to take from this article, because I had a different idea of where I was going to go, but you know, with all the journalism that I do, or, you know, journalism light, I guess you could say that I do, I think it's really important to do a lot of in-depth research and to find good sources to back up what you write about. And so I delved into the research of burnout in physical therapy and found out that all the literature that's available is 20 years old or older. And most of it, if it's more recent, is more anecdotal than actual data-driven. And one of the actual more recent studies that I found was from Dr. Ellen Zambo Anderson, who's out of Rutgers, and she had done her dissertation on stress and and physical therapy and looked at burnout in physical therapists. And what she found was that how we define burnout is actually not in line with how the literature defines burnout. And so as I was kind of reading through her dissertation, I was like, man, I need to interview this person for my article so that I can really get a good grasp. I mean, this was at the height of COVID. Sure. I was pregnant at the time. I didn't know if I was going to be laid off from my job. I didn't know what to expect as a pregnant person with a baby on the way, how my baby would be affected by COVID. Yeah. So, I mean, I was stressed for sure. Yeah. So I talked to her, interviewed her for Karen's podcast and learned a lot. And based on what she told me, I was able to write this article for Impact, which, you know, here at PPS, we've been talking, the, the keynote this morning was on resilience. And I've always hated the word resilience. I think that 
it's very it's a it's too much of a buzzword and i don't think we really define resilience in the way that it is actually defined and how i think of resilience because my husband is a medical resident in pathology is that it's it's a responsibility that's put on an individual where you know you need to exercise you need to do all these things in order to like keep your sanity well when you're a medical resident and you're working 100 hours a week how are you supposed to exercise how are you supposed to spend time with your family how are you supposed to do any of these things that they define uh, in resilience uh, as resilience to you know be sane and i think that that really falls in line well with physical therapists especially at the height of covid yeah. is you know we were asking ourselves like how can we be resilient how can we practice being resilient I think resilience is something that employers and leaders need to encourage in their employees in the culture that they create. So instead of saying, oh, you know, maybe you, you know, you seem stressed, maybe you need to exercise more. Well, maybe as a leader, you need to give a person a little bit more time off right. or pay them a little bit more so they don't have these stressors, which I know that there's a lot of factors go, sure. that go into these i mean being very like superficial with what right. i'm saying so if you if you want to delve more into it you can read my impact article yes. but that's basically the argument that i make in this article is that you know it presents these issues with how we define burnout in physical therapy it de it better defines what burnout is made up of and uh it also helps leaders implement realistic solutions within their practice that aren't so burdensome to people facing stress because if we have happy workers yeah. we're gonna have happy patients right. we're not in that zombie workforce anymore yes so that was like the big major last big major project that i did prior to giving birth to zara she was born on january 14th and so i went on maternity leave you know my employer has been very supportive of me and i took a, took, was able to take a four-month maternity leave while on that maternity leave i worked with you creating some content of the si joint which we were able to teach to you know beta students from paul goes company and so that did take up a lot of my time luckily with a newborn i mean I thought that I would be a lot less busy with a newborn, which I was not. <laughs> and I know that you warned me about I that, know, but you know, know, it never, you know, you never really right. think until you're in it, until you're in it, you never really understand it. So, um, but I was able to get it, get it done. She slept when she slept. I worked on the, these talks. I was able to lecture to the students. It was a really great experience. It was another one of those things where I was like, wow, like I can still like be in touch with my career yet be a mom. Yeah. And I would think I was able to do them both fairly well. Yeah, that's awesome. And so I really enjoyed my maternity leave. Um, I went back and visited my family at the end of May. That was like kind of the last hurrah before I went back to work uh, right. in North Dakota and got to introduce Zara to our family. So nice. that was really nice. And then I started back at work in the end of May, beginning of June. And I you know, came back and I was ready to go. And then I realized as I was working, at my, the private practice that I'm at, I was like, wow, I'm working 8.30 to 5, which were my new hours. And Zara goes to bed at like 6.30 yeah. and wakes up at 6.30. Like I'm literally spending two hours a day with her and I'm grinding my ass at yeah, work. Yeah. And I'm like, I'm not spending any time with my child. Like this right. is not, 
I, I was watching the clock more at work. I wasn't as happy at work, you know. So a lot of these, these, these red flags that I mentioned that lead to burnout yes. in this article. I was You're thinking about them. this, <laughs> and uh, I was like, man, this is like really hard. And so my boss came up to me, checked in with me about a month after I started working, and he's a he's a dad of two young kids, yeah. and he's like, Stephanie, how are you doing? And just that open ended question was like, you know, I'm not really doing that great. And I explained to him, you know, what I just mentioned, I, you know, that it was crazy to, to me to think that I was spending two hours with my child and then spending the rest of the time at work. And I just was noticing, and I've never been somebody to watch the clock at work because I'm extremely passionate about right. this profession and I love what I do. And I was like, this is like not me. Right. But it's, it's an emotional time. It's, it's amazing how things change after a child. Yeah. Oh, for sure. And you know, like when we were pre this, pre, pre all this happening before I went, you know, it was even like thinking about maternity leave, you know, my boss had asked me like, are you going to come back full time? And I was like, well, duh. obviously like, why wouldn't I? And I'm so dedicated to this profession. And so, you know, he asked me this open-ended question of how are you, how are you doing? And I was like, you know, I'm not really doing that great. I notice I'm watching the clock more. Like I don't want to really be at work and it's not like anything that you're doing. It's just like, I feel like like I'm really missing out on, because every, the advice I get from everyone is, oh, enjoy those days when they're young, when they're babies like this, because it, like the snuggles only last so long. And I don't feel like I'm able to take advantage of that advice. Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, I get it. He's like, I'm a dad of young kids and they are only young once. And he's like, if you want to reduce your work hours, I am totally supportive of it. You just tell me what you need and I will make it happen. Yeah. That's awesome. And so I'm now working 32 hours a week. Great. I have, I have Mondays off. So I have a three day weekend and that just that one day of staying home with Zara has made a complete difference in my quality of yeah. life. Yeah. I feel like I'm able to get good quality time with her. I feel like I'm present at work and I'm excited to go to work. And so, you know, that was kind of the next big, you know, change in my life that I made. And, and you know, every mom I think has, and, and dad probably have that conflicting thought of, you know, how do I find that, and I, I hate this term, but like that balance, yeah. right? Work-life balance. Yep. And, you know, having a supportive leader in my company and having a boss that really understands and and really asks these open-ended questions to really understand what's important to his employees makes all the difference yeah, in, sure. in how happy I've been at work. So now I'm working four days a week. And transitioning now from one elected position to another, right? Yeah, so we're here at PPS. Today, uh, this weekend will be my last weekend as the chair of the private practice section nominating committee. So if you're not familiar with the nominating committee, we we are the leadership pipeline in PPS. So we try to develop leaders that eventually want to be in leadership. So for example, the board of directors, the nominating committee for private practice, so that we can continue to transform society so that we are really making sure we're providing our practitioners, our staff, and our patients with the kind of care and the kind of uh, uh, things that they need. And I I think the private practice section does a great job of providing those leaders and and the the tools we need to become leaders eventually. So kudos to you for that. Now the next position. Yes. So, um, 
you know, while I was making this transition from working five days a week to four days a week, I was also running for the American Physical Therapy Association nominating committee. So it's basically PPS nominating committee, the job that I do here at a bigger scale yeah. is what it is, you know, developing the next leaders of APTA. And, you know, it was pretty intense. Uh, it was pretty intense process. It was all virtual this year, which is, which is great because it opens up, it removes so many barriers that people have for running for leadership positions. So a lot of my time when Zara was asleep at night was uh, spent being interviewed by delegates of uh, yeah. different states, different uh, aspects of APTA, and um, answering their questions about why I think that I would have been the best person for the nominating committee. And um, I think I did probably 15 to 20 interviews. So it was busy and they yeah. were, they varied from 15 minutes to an hour and a half. Yeah. So, you know, it was very busy. The election took place in August. Um, and I got elected, which yes, I'm congratulations. very excited about. We're excited as well. Um, uh, especially because I think, you know, as we move through seasons of life, as you know, Scott, yep. as we move through seasons of life, the needs that we have change. Yep. And I think that it's hard for, especially young women, but I'm sure, you know, new dads as well. Like, I want to stay involved in APTA or in my profession. But I have all these other things tugging at me, right. you know, and, and I never prior to a few years ago, I had never seen a child at a conference. And so I never really thought it was a feasible, a feasible goal for somebody to be a, a parent of a young child and to be fully engaged in APTA until I went to the Graham Sessions one year, which is a conference that private practice also hosts, and saw one of my colleagues who I was extremely involved in private practice section, an amazing private practice owner, just a wonderful leader. She was at the time the, the editor of the Impact Magazine Board. She was there with her infant son, and just seeing her, this was way before I ever thought I was gonna right. have kids, just seeing her there playing like with her newborn, I was like, Oh my God, if she as a single parent can be at this conference with a child, a newborn, like I could yeah, do that someday. Inspiring, definitely something to look up to. And so that's one of the reasons that I ran for APTA nominating committee is, you know, we talk about diversity, we talk about inclusion in our association. And I think that that's a huge branch of our association that doesn't feel like they have a place that they can be as parents. Yeah. And I think that I I felt like I could represent them yep. in this position. Yeah. Well, and Zara will be ready for all the conferences that come her way when she's ready to do your, th your thing you're doing. So exactly. that's great. You know, she's learning early. Well, she's here at this yeah. conference with me. Making the rounds. Um, I've seen her. Thank you, my mom, for uh, coming and babysitting while I'm in sessions. And, you know, she went to House of Delegates with me as well. And my husband went with and was able to watch her when I was busy. And so, you know, it really does take a tribe. And, yeah. you know, it's not, you know, I know that this isn't for everyone, you know, not everybody want, wants to, or has the energy to put their time into maybe the association. They want to put their time somewhere else. Right. And that's totally valid. But for me, this was the right that's decision. The and I want people to see, like, if you see somebody who looks like you, who's in the same season of life as you, as you doing something that you didn't think was possible, yeah. Even that little opportunity, it's like with our patients, even that little glimpse of hope yeah. 
is really inspiring and it gives you enough to grab onto to be like, well, maybe I can do this. And so ultimately that takes us up to, you know, September. And now here I am at PPS. In the meantime, uh, my husband and I presented at the American Congress. That was very cool. American Congress of Rehabilitation Medicine Conference, which is (laughs) an interdisciplinary conference for people in rehab medicine. So physicians, PAs, SLPs, OTs, PTs, athletic trainers. I mean, very interdisciplinary. And we presented a talk on heart disease and managing patients with heart disease and trying to prevent the progression of heart disease. So basically, my husband, he's a pathologist. He, He wants to, he's going to be training and starting a fellowship in forensic pathology and he's very passionate about the heart loves the heart and you know he talked about the pathophysiological mechanisms that develop in people with risk factors for heart disease and so he talks about this continuum that exists where you know if you have these certain risk factors for heart disease it increases your risk for sudden cardiac death which was you know him and I see the opposite spectrum. My hope is to prevent that. Right. And he sees you when, if he sees you with a, a heart disease, you're, it's not, good. it's not good. You do not want to see a pathologist right. with heart disease. And so, you know, he talked about like a lot of these very, you know, molecular mechanisms, like what leads to that medically. And then I talked about like, how can we prevent it? So basically a lot of it was, you know, if somebody has high blood pressure and they're coming into your clinic, what type of exercise interventions do you provide for them? You know, what does the American Heart Association recommend for activity? Your goal is, I mean, life, you're practicing lifestyle medicine. So your goal is to get them on a program where they can maintain some type of physical activity realistically to prevent that sliding scale from increasing. And so um, that's what we talked about. And it was a very well-received talk. We had over 200 attendees at our virtual talk. And then I also gave a talk at the same conference with one of my other physician colleagues at the University of North Dakota. He is a diabetes specialist. Mm -hmm. And we talked about pretty much the same thing, but with diabetes and interdisciplinary management of people with diabetes. So, you know, what does the physician look for in people with diabetes? And, you know, in the geriatric population specifically, because everyone, you know, thinks that your A1C has to be like exactly 6.5 and if it's not there then you know you're not doing a good job and with some of these patients based off of their age and how long they've had other comorbidities other things that are going on you know you might be happy with an eight sure you know as their a1c and then how you as a physical therapist we we as rehabilitation professionals for this you know the group of people i was presenting presenting to how can we utilize exercise to help them achieve these goals that their physicians have for them and so you know kind of the same type of talk and we are presenting this talk at csm virtually oh nice so you know if you're interested in the diet uh, older adult population and you treat a lot of people with chronic i mean we all treat people with chronic disease and you have patients with diabetes which you know we all have patients with diabetes that come in i mean it's a very good talk on how to really understand the medical management of these patients and to also help people achieve their goals. Because a lot of people with chronic disease, I think that feel based on our research and conversations with these patients, they feel really shameful when they don't achieve the goals that their doctors have for them. And that's never should be our intention, right? Our intention is always to empower people so that they can live these healthy lives, so that they can realistically accomplish certain goals. 
And so that's kind of what this talk talks about. Awesome. So those are kind of, that's kind of now taking us up here yeah. to PPS. Yeah. I'm at my last, you know, my last PPS conference is nominating committee chair. And then um, January we'll come with CSM and then I don't know. We'll see what happens yeah, we'll, after what that. Goes from there. Well, Steph, I want to be respectful of your time. Thank you so much for catching up with us and let us know everything you've done. Where can people find you or follow up with you if they have questions or want to know what you're up to these days? Yeah, so, you know, you can find me on social media. I'm at the Steph 21 on Twitter. Uh, you can find me on Instagram, same thing, at the Steph. You can friend me on Facebook. I'm always open to chatting about these things and, you know, uh, always looking to hear other perspectives. And if you're interested in becoming involved or you want to develop your leadership skills for the profession, like come talk to me. I would love to help you find a place and a home in ABTA. Yep. And hopefully we'll see you back on the HET podcast at some point. And that is definitely my goal. Hopefully you'll be hearing my voice more often. Thanks so much, Steph. Thanks, Scott. Access to healthcare is one of the largest issues facing both providers and patients, as millions of people worldwide lack timely and affordable access to healthcare. Anywhere Healthcare, a telehealth platform, is a simple, low-cost option for providers and patients that eliminates the barriers to access to all kinds of healthcare. To find out more, check out anywhere.healthcare, which is available on our show notes. And if you use the code HET in all caps when you email to sign up, you'll save 25% off the total cost. Thank you for attending class today. And we hope that you learned something and gained value from the content. If you'd like to schedule office hours with us, feel free to add us on Twitter at HET Podcast, on Instagram, HET Podcast, on Facebook, the Healthcare Education Transformation Podcast, and the homepage, healthcareeducationtransformationpodcast.com. And for those of you following along in the syllabus, extra credit can be obtained by liking us, sharing us, and leaving a review. Let's continue our journey up Mount Educational Success as lifelong learners.